Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 62 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is Darren Elias, a highly successful professional poker player, originally from Medford, New Jersey. This man holds the record for the most WPT titles at four. He also has cashed at the WSOP a couple dozen times. He's won the WCOOP twice and has over $3.8 million in online earnings to go with over $9 million in live poker earnings. Darren is an ambassador for the party poker BetMGM and a card-carrying member of Tom Wheaton's Above the Felt Talent Agency. Plus, he's currently hosting an online poker tournament series called the Enboss Series, in which anyone who wishes to register has the opportunity to play him on the virtual felt. Today, we'll get to know him a little better. Darren, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thanks, Robbie. Happy to be here. That's good to see. And I've got to say, look, I've been in this industry quite a while. Obviously, you know, you've been around also since, you know, at least 2008 and before online. Our paths had never crossed. So I'm excited to get to meet you for the first time. This is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Funny we haven't we haven't met already. We've both been around a while. But uh, well, it is a day. Yeah, well, this is good. And hopefully we'll get the chance to to meet in person another time too. But uh, let's let's get to know you a little bit. Let's get to learn your story. Um I'm wondering, how did you first discover the game of poker? And, and what was it that particularly appealed to you about it that you said, hey, I want to, you know, get more into this and just make this my life? Yeah, well, I, I started playing cards with my family when I was really young, uh, particularly my grandmother. We, we'd play, it wasn't necessarily poker, but we'd play bridge, spades, hearts, and um, eventually some other versions of poker. We would play five card draw, heads up, which is ridiculous looking back. We'd play a heads up five card draw high, like jacks are better to open or something. Oh, yeah. Go back, go back and forth. Um, but eventually that kind of transitioned into Texas Hold'em when Moneymaker won the main event. And I was in high school. We were all watching it. We were all playing home games. I was kind of in that era. And um, when I went to college, I started to play online, started to find tournaments small tournaments still five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars but found a lot of success in college and um started to take it more seriously as i was making more money and i like that it it was poker is fair i would say in the long term i, I like that aspect of it where if you put in the work and, and you and you do and you play good poker in the long run i mean not in the short term but in the long run you will see your results Right. Well, you went to college and I don't imagine you tried to get a degree in becoming a poker pro. Like what, what did you originally think? Hey, you know, I'm going to go ahead and try to pursue this. What was it? Um, I actually wanted to work for NASA. I, I was a, I was a math and physics guy. I was always, I had an affinity for numbers. I still do. And um, kind of had a double major math and physics, but at the same time I was becoming kind of engrossed in this poker journey. I, I was becoming really successful by my, my classes, uh, my grades weren't very good as I was getting deeper into poker sophomore, junior year. Things kind of came to a head. I think summer of my senior year, I turned 21 and, and I had a, an internship to go to Hawaii in this um, this observatory called Mauna Kea. I worked, basically worked for NASA for the summer. That's but like also, the volcano over there, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. They have a big space observatory, but, but it's also a volcano. Um, also, I the the first summer I'm eligible to play World Series of Poker, I was turning 21. So I kind of had this like line in the sand I had to choose. Um, ended up going to Vegas, playing the World Series, changed my major to creative writing, which was a little less intensive and uh, classes weren't as demanding. Um, took an extra year. I graduated with a writing degree, but uh, originally went to school for physics. Okay, interesting. And when you say things kind of came to head, it's because you're just you know, making so much and being so successful online? Yeah, yeah, I did, I did really well online in college. And um, I was more passionate about poker at that. I, I still am passionate, but at that point and, and kind of asking myself, yes, I could go do this. I'm interested in space and astronomy, but I'm going to be making less money than if I just continued playing poker mm. if everything goes well, which I just I just kept playing poker. Any regrets? Is there something that says to you, you know, when you see uh you know, Elon Musk's, you know, SpaceX going up. You ever say, hey, I, I could have maybe, you know, done something yeah. like that? 
Definitely. I, I, I'm still really interested in that stuff. And, and I read about it and I watch videos. And, and part of me wants to be one of those mission control guys in Houston. We have a problem. I want one of those guys in the in the booth. But I think I'd probably get sick of it after six months or a year. And I would probably probably want to come back to the felt. All right. Well, thankfully, poker is not something uh, at all that you're even close to stick of. You're just uh, making all these sick runs. Uh, but let's go back to that first uh, glorious Hendon Mob cash uh, in 2008. You were 21 years old. And I couldn't help but notice an Australian flag. I mean, most folks don't go gallivanting off to Australia and hop in a 1500 as their first ever live poker event at 21. So you must have had some sort of you know, major successes online that said, you made you say, you know what, let's, let's, you know, go down under. Yeah. Yeah. Back then I played a lot on uh poker stars and full tilt and they kind of had this, they had a lot of live satellites where you, you would play a $500 or a thousand dollar tournament. And if you won, they would, you get a package to go to London, Australia, okay. uh, Monte Carlo. So I, I would play those and then I would just go and play and miss two weeks of school. So that, that was kind of contributing to my, uh, to my grades and stuff. But, I went out there. I think I actually brought a couple college buddies and we made awesome. a trip out of it, went to Melbourne for a couple of weeks. And uh, it was amazing. I, I, I don't think I did too well money-wise that trip, but uh, <laughs> it was fun getting into the live arena. Okay. Oh, but before, I just want to touch a little bit on the online before we go a little bit more into the live. Sure. I mean, how, how long did it kind of take you to, to truly feel comfortable playing and, and sort of say to yourself, you know what? I'm good enough at this game to make a living and I can beat a lot of people. I could really see, like you said, you know, you're making money, but you know, at 21 years old, you never know what's going to be. You have your whole life ahead of you. You know, sort of say, you know what, this is really what I'm going to do. And I can succeed at it. What, what was that point that happened? Um, it was probably after a couple of years playing online because I was playing such small stakes initially where I was playing like 10 cent, 25 cent online that win $8 in a session. And, and that's not real. That's something that's not something you're going to build a career off of. So after a couple of years, when I was kind of making six figures online playing tournaments and I'm talking to my parents, and they're, oh, this is like real money. Like I have the money. Like I'm not I'm not like gambling and losing it back and it's sustainable. And I feel good about the games I'm playing in. At that point, I kind of started to take it more seriously and be, oh, maybe this is a, a viable thing to do for a long time and I enjoy it. So I, I would say a couple of years, maybe sophomore, junior year of college, I really get serious. Sure. And I know a lot of you know poker pros they have, and especially those that came up in that you know moneymaker era, you know, just coming out of college, that sort of age. You know, money is one thing. And then there's, you know, you got to tell your parents what you're going to do. So are they kind of like bottom line people? Well, if he's supporting himself, you know, okay. Or were they kind of like, oh, we thought we'd have a rocket scientist. This is fun, you know? Um, I would say right now they're they've like at this point, it's 15 years later. I'm yeah. 30, I'm 35. Um, they're, right. they're my biggest fans. They support me. But there was definitely some growing pains, especially uh my my father's a uh, college football coach his whole career, kind of a straight edge, um, no nonsense guy. So when I was 16, 17 years old, gambling on the internet, um, right. <laughs> that, that didn't go over so well. So it kind of, it, it kind of goes with your last question where I had to show him the results after a couple of years that this mm -hmm. wasn't just some stupid thing I'm doing that I actually was banking this money. And it's a real, it's a real skill game and kind of, with people not involved in poker, you always have to differentiate between gambling and poker, and this isn't a, a luck thing. So it, it took him a couple of years to come around on that, and we had some disagreements along the way. But uh, they're they're open minded, and they've come around. And now now my mom's texting me for chips stack up. I love it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> There's nothing like having your parents on your rail as your biggest fans. Oh, yeah. I, I imagine there are folks out there, you know, most of us in the cards chat community were, you know, serious recreational players. We enjoy the game and, you know, we, we obviously want to win, but I'm sure there's some people out there who also kind of say to themselves, you know, I'm doing pretty good at this, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I should give it a try. You know, you, you've trodden that path. You've, you've, gone through it and you know made your way through poker to become the Darren Elias that we you know that we all know uh what kind of advice would you give to someone who says to themselves you know what I want to give this a try like perhaps some of the things that you know from your from your experience that would be helpful to someone like that in that position it's, it's tough because 
I feel like recreational players, especially part-time players, are always at a little bit of a disadvantage as they move up because they have other stuff going on. They have a job, they have they have um, commitments, time commitments. Where whenever you're whenever you're playing against, eventually you move up high enough in stakes, you're going to play against professional players who like this is our life, this is our livelihood. We right. study poker, we breathe it twenty-four-seven. So you're always going to have that, and and for people who treat it as a hobby and enjoy it. I would say tr- try to try to leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Most of the time the the pro poker player life is not going to be as glamorous as you may think like the grass is always greener. And um I, I think most recreational players if they were to quit their day job and and really commit to poker and go pro would probably make less money than they're making and not be as happy. So I I would kind of say leave it leave it as a hobby w- w- would be my tip um unless you're Real, really crushing the game, really passionate about it and ready to go all in and take the plunge. And, and going all in means what exactly? What does it mean to be a professional in that sense? I think I think you have to study. You, you really have to study off the felt and you're going to need a, a kind of a network of people where you can bounce ideas off of, talk poker strategy, that that kind of thing. Unless you're just naturally instinct, great instincts, gifted, gifted with that kind of stuff. Um, that's huge to help getting into poker and putting in the hours, just logging the hours, playing a lot, whether that be live or online, um, that kind of stuff is essential. Sure. And, you know, obviously, you know, someone with your kind of experience could, could speak to that, you know, being helpful, especially, uh, you know, in the uh, dog eat dog days or shark eat shark days of 2021. Was that true back when you started as well? Did you right away sort of build up a network of, of peers who you could bounce hands off of and you were in the lab all the time or did that sort of come over time? No, I would say I'm probably in the minority of like my path to where I went was more, um, it, I, I was alone for the most part. I, I didn't have a big community. I didn't study a lot, hmm. but I'm, as I talk with other people, I've realized like things come, a lot of things come naturally to me in poker that that don't come to others and they can, they can see the same results. They just need to study it and need to see it. So from, I'd say I'm probably an outlier in, in that regard where my path does not look like most paths and would not be the path I would recommend because if you start to have these ideas in your head and you believe them and they're not right, you're going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. So you you have, you have to have somebody to to check. And I mean, I have a small, small group now that I took, that I talked poker strategy with, but definitely less than most. Cool. I think that self-awareness is very important. Thanks for that uh, honesty. It's a, it's a good thing. Um, So let's go back again a little bit. March, 2008, that's when you went deep. I think you finished 16th or so at a tournament in the win. And that's when you had your first live five-figure score for about 22K. You're 21 years old. At that point, did you sort of say to yourself, okay, I break, I broke through, or was this luck boxing? Or you know, what you know, what was it like at that point? That I remember that tournament pretty distinctly. Oh, really? Um, I, I had already done very well online. So it, it wasn't like the money the money mattered a ton, like the five figure cash on live. But I do remember I had driven out from college in California to Las Vegas. This was like a three or four day tournament. I'm on the bubble and I was missing finals week. So I was, <laughs> I was on this bubble and I'm like, I have to at least cash because I'm going to, I'm going to fail this class. So I was playing like scared tight on the bubble. I just needed, needed to min cash to make it worth the trip. And uh, I got cash for 22,000. And, and that was, it was a little different back then. That was a ten thousand dollar tournament in two thousand eight. Yeah, I didn't sell action. I didn't. It, it, it wasn't what it is today. Where we're like we didn't know about all the like ROIs and bankroll management. And I kind of oh. I had ten thousand. I drove out there. I played. I min cash, and that's that. Yikes. Okay. So, was there a particular live score that you said, okay, I've broken through? Um, you know, I don't, I don't even know if that's the correct terminology to use, but like sort of an inflection point. Cause like, again, you had all of that online success. You were very comfortable. You clearly know what you're doing, but live is a little bit different. Was there a particular tournament, you know, even if you didn't have a high score, but like, you know, you're sitting there and you realize, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm where I want to be. There was a, a run a run I had, I'm not sure what year it is. I, I would guess it would be 2013 or 12, maybe. I, I made two WPT final tables, one at Borgata, one at Jacksonville. Probably cash for around 400000 between the two, the two of them. And it wasn't until then that I really felt 
comfortable and like I was winning live. Because mm. when, when I first started playing live from the online arena, I, I wasn't a good live player. I, I was a losing player. I, I was used to playing 10 tables at once. I was too aggressive. Um, also, like I, I wasn't very self-aware of my image too, where I was a young kid wearing headphones um, trying to win every hand, 21 year old kid. Like I was what I looked like. Of course I'm trying to bluff right. everybody. And, and like, <laughs> it makes sense that I didn't have great results. Um, so it kind of took me two, three, four years to, to figure out the live game and kind of grow up and be a little more patient. Hmm. Well, can you kind of, I mean, that, that's luckily when you said also like, you know, to, to really go all in and, and make this your lifestyle, you know, even Darren Elias, it took many years. You know, that's a fascinating you say it took, you know, 2013 after you'd done all that playing live, it still took you four or five years to reach that. Could you kind of sort of describe that progression, especially if you're saying you, you're you're kind of the outlier or lone wolf? What is it that you did to sort of improve on your game? And, you know, how were you different at that point in 2013 than when you started playing live, you know, as a 21 year old? Well, I think for one, it, it's very important to keep results and data. So I, I would always look at look at my results and be like, wow, I've I've played 40 live tournaments in a row and I haven't cashed one. Hmm. Something must be wrong. And, and then I'm I've always been able to objectively self-evaluate and analyze my play, which I think not a lot of players are able to do without being biased and oh, I got unlucky or oh, I just got cooler. Where I've always been able to separate myself from the hand and be like, wow. I actually made some mistakes here and what can I do to prevent that from happening again? So kind of that self-analysis and looking at the hands go, going forward um, was part of my progression, I guess, to become a good live player. And then just generally playing tighter, paying more attention to my opponents. And there's also this thing where I think players who, who come from the online arena kind of like look down on live players where, Oh, they're worse. I want all this money playing online. And I kind of had that chip on my shoulder a little bit when I first came in, like, oh, I'm just going to run these guys over. I'm better than them. And that that's a negative thing to have in your game. You don't want that. And you have to respect your opponents and at least pay attention to how they're playing. Even if it's poorly to understand the strategy and how to beat it, where I, I was kind of just blindly playing my game and, and that, that wasn't working. Hmm. I'd say the inverse is also true. I mean, I remember hearing, you know, all the, the old guard, you know, they said, who are these online kids coming in? We'll wipe the floor with them. You know, now you, you've straddled both sides of the aisle there. You would say also it's important for the live guys to respect the online guys too? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, let, let, I was just watching last night, 50K Potlum in Omaha. You, you've got two of the best online players of all time there at the final table or or at least at least one the the Omaha for roles playing against Phil Helmuth and Daniel Negreanu. Yep. And uh, it, it, it's great. You, we'll always have that debate and the clash. And um, I'm a little biased towards the online side. I think the online players are fundamentally stronger, understand the game better, have just logged more hands, done more yeah. study. But there, there is still something to live experience. So I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say live players are bad, but um, there are things that they do worse and there are things that they do better. Sure. Well, like like any sport, there's always some sort of an evolution. You know, tennis rackets get better, and you know, the, there's always something. And you know, in basketball, you start reviewing the tape of the previous games. We all know that poker has evolved seemingly very, very quickly over the last few years. You've managed to, you know, maintain your position on top of the game and then continue to see success. Uh, how has your game, you know, obviously without giving any secrets or anything, but generally speaking, how has your game evolved over the last, you know, five to seven years or so? What is it that you do differently or, or practice that kind of, you know, keeps you sharp? I think now, especially, re especially recently with the evolution of these solvers, these poker mm -hmm. solvers, where you software where a computer plays itself and kind of comes up with an equilibrium solution that, it, that you, you can't beat. And I mean, I've had a lot of experience with that. I, I did a a project with Carnegie Mellon and Facebook AI, where I basically tested their, their poker bot. For oh, I didn't know you were doing that. Of, okay, cool. I remember that. Tens one. of yeah. thousands of hands. And, and most of the, the high stakes players nowadays use some version of this software, whether it be PO Solver or Monk or something like that. And it, it's changed the game in the sense that five or 10 years ago, you would play a hand in a big tournament and you'd be like, oh, like, did I do the right thing? What happened there? You ask your friends, you'd get some opinions. 
where now a lot of these guys will just type it in their solver and it's almost like math class where you check the back of the book to see if your your drink you got the answer right and sometimes that's correct like and generally the higher stakes you're playing the more fundamentally sound players are playing the more accurate and meaningful those answers are but i think if you're playing high stakes nowadays you kind of have to be paying attention to that stuff and at least acknowledging the the solutions to some of these these hands that's interesting you know this uh as you're saying it i I realize there's a question i've never really asked any poker pro, you know, it's kind of known that, like you're saying, okay, so there's solvers, right? And that's just the way study is conducted these days, okay? <laughs> is that enjoyable? Or do you kind of look at it as like, well, a necessary evil in order to get where you want to get? Is there part of you, especially considering your, you know, mathematics and, and physics background that, you know, kind of like, oh, this is cool. I, I enjoy the process too. I do enjoy the theory and the solutions and and kind of because you get the answers, but you don't get the why. So so there is still that mental leap you have to take. Like, why, why did the computer raise this group of hands on this board to this size huh. when when it, it's not something I would do naturally? It doesn't make sense. So to kind of try to figure that out, like, why would it do that? And then apply it to a bunch of other spots, because. In poker, there's so much like resonance in in one concept will apply to hundreds of different spots. So kind of seeing those results from the computer and then extrapolating across all these different things, that's exciting to me. I I like that. I do wish software and stuff was a little cleaner and easier to use. There's a there's a learning curve with that stuff. And for an old guy, I'm 35. It's a little uh, it's a little tough to work the software sometimes. But uh, I I enjoy it. I, I don't think it's too tedious. I'm laughing because if you're old, then what am I at 40? Uh, <laughs> let's let's take a step back. It's always good to change gears a little bit. Let's go from the poker to the personal. Uh, I know you're coming to us today from Las Vegas. Uh, you're about to you know, resume play in the 50K, uh, one of the last events of the World Series. Um, just, but where are you from? I mean, Wikipedia says New Jersey. Hendon Bob says Philadelphia. Card Player Magazine says L.A. So where's home, Darren? I live in New Jersey right now. My, my wife is from from New Jersey. Kind of a, a we live now in a suburb of Philadelphia, about forty minutes um, east. But I moved around a ton growing up because, like I said, my dad's a football coach. So it's all it was almost like a military lifestyle where oh, wow. I moved around uh, six different states before high school, mostly on the East Coast. I lived in Boston, um, Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, Louisiana. Wow. Eventually in Pennsylvania, where I went to high school. And uh, actually went to college in California to play water polo and swimming. Uh, I did sports out there and then met my wife and have lived in New Jersey for the last 10 years. A lot of people would say moving around, especially, uh, you know, at those tender young ages is not necessarily so easy. You know, most of the people I know, most of the people, most of the people know, you kind of not, you know, you, you know, you're born, live and, and die in the same place, but you know, you you have roots and, you know, you, you've been somewhere for a while. Was that like an easy thing or something you enjoyed all that moving around or you kind of regret not having a, you know, a, a one place? It was definitely difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Looking back and kind of like reflecting, I, I guess it, it made me who I am in the sense that I, I I was very withdrawn and, and not very social where I would just move to a new place. I wouldn't know anybody. I would get on the computer and play cards or just get into a certain hobby and, and really immerse myself where mm. I wasn't as social. I, I mean, in high school, a little later I was, but moving around at a young age, I was, I kept to myself and really let, let my hobbies and interests flourish on my own where I, I wasn't, I wasn't as social as, as most people I would say. That's interesting. Well, you know, obviously, at least uh, while talking about things you're passionate about, uh, you're pretty darn social. So I'm enjoying this conversation. Um, Well, speaking of moving around, obviously, you've played in a ton of poker rooms and casinos around the world. Do you have a favorite one uh, either in the United States or around the world somewhere? I really like the win. I'm enjoying playing at the win, the encore, uh, especially right now. I I think they're doing a great job over there with the tournaments. Beautiful room, nice chairs. They don't play 10-handed. Um, good service. I think Ray, I think, is the tournament poker director over there. He's putting on some huge tournaments. They have these new mystery bounty things where yeah. you pull out a, a hundred thousand thing. Um, also enjoy playing the Aria. Our Aria is good. Um, they have the poker poker studio over there. So uh Aria and Win, I'd say, are my two favorite rooms. A lot of good, a lot of good memories of the Borgata. 
Cool. That's well. kind of that was my home casino growing up, but um, also where I won my first WPT. So a lot of good memories there. Those are the three that kind of come to mind in, in the states. Cool. And when you go to Borgata, is it kind of like a, a homecoming of sorts? You know, like oh, you just settle right back in. Yeah, yeah, definitely know a lot of the regulars there. I even know the staff, and um, I've been playing there since I turned twenty-one. Cash games tournaments, so that is uh, that is home. Very cool. Okay, so okay, well, home and traveling. What, what, you know, what in a regular year, let's say non-pandemic year, what percentage of the year do you find yourself kind of like traveling versus you know just kind of staying in one place and I, I guess playing online? I would say about a week and a half or two weeks out of every month, I'm traveling. I'm traveling quite a bit, mostly in the U.S. I play about 50 to 55 tournaments a year. I'm pretty consistent on what I play, the, the schedule of the tournaments. Mm-hmm. I keep my records. I don't think I'm ever under under 50 or over 60. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually, that, that's about my limit where I don't like long trips, long festivals. Like the World Series is tough for me, actually. I'm in Vegas and have been here since the start of the World Series, but have made three different trips. So I've gone, okay. I'm here a week and a half. I go home a week. I like, I don't really enjoy being away a month. Um, tough on my family. I have two young, two young kids. So uh, a week, week and a half is kind of my number where I, I, I love to, when you first leave, you're excited to get away and play poker. And when you're done, you're excited to go home. And, and that, that's kind <laughs> of the like amount of time where it's perfect for me. I care that uh, what, you know, it's not a question I planned, but since you mentioned it, um, you know, what has obviously, you know, you're, when you're playing, you're sitting and, and playing and stuff, but straddling that balance, when you go back to the airport and say, okay, I'm going home now, what are those days like when you're not playing, when you, you know, get to, to be back at home and kind of recharge those batteries? It's quite the dichotomy, you know, like one, one day I'm in these high rollers staring down some savage in a huge pot for a lot of equity. Next day I'm, dressing up like Elsa playing. Right. <laughs> so it, it, it's really something. Um, I I think I'm able, because poker is so intense and when I'm here, I'm really immersed that when I go home, I, I don't, I kind of just check out from poker and just try to be a dad and awesome. um, be a dad, be a husband, help out around the house. And, and um, I'll do a little poker study or maybe play a Sunday online. But when I'm home, I'm not, I'm not spending a ton of time off of poker. I hear that. Well, I'm I'm a dad to three kids as well, so I understand that having to flip the switch. It's it's pretty cool to to hear. It's nice. How, how old are your kids? If I can ask. One and four. Wow, uh, special. Good. Very nice. Enjoy that time. Special times. Um. Well, during during that pandemic, and I did mention it. You know, you know, for for poker players, thankfully, you know, like you know, depending on your jurisdictions where you live, most of you know the professionals were able to at least you know, turn and, and transition a little bit to live. Someone like yourself, you know, with that extensive, you know, uh, sorry, it turned to online. With that extensive online experience, you know, I imagine it was a relatively easier transition. What was that sort of, I guess, year to year and a half period like? Were you just kind of like antsy to, to get back on the plane or were you kind of enjoying a, a very strange time to, to just sort of be at home? We're talking about the pandemic? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was interesting where at first I was just kind of like what's happening and just spending time with my family, catching up with old friends. But as it became apparent how it was going to last a while, I kind of had asked myself, like, I'm not going to be able to work and play live. I'm going to have to start because in the last three or four years, I wasn't playing a ton online. Most of my volume was live. So I kind of had to ask myself, am I really going to go back into this world and play online? And if I do do it, I don't want to like half-ass it. I either want to want to actually get the money on there, play, grind, study, or not play at all. And I ended up playing again in um, probably April of of that pandemic and played a lot that year, kind of tailing off towards the beginning of this year, stopped playing as much, but played Sundays, played high stakes. And um, now now I think I'm, I'm transitioning more towards these American betting, GM and where back then it was playing more abroad. Got it. Um, well, okay. So let okay. Got to switch gears again because I do want to talk. Obviously, about you mentioned BetMGM and we've got uh, a cool series uh, to promote. We'll get to that towards uh, the end of my questions. 
Um, but I was listening to a different podcast. My good friend uh, Chad Holloway interviewed you recently on the Poker News podcast. And, you know, he kind of mentioned, you know, of course, you know, the most successful uh, WPT champion and in, in titles and stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, a felt is a felt. You know, that's kind of the way you described it. And, you know, it just happens to be your more successful WPT. But from the WPT standpoint, of course, they they really love promoting their champions. And, you know, for, for better or for worse, you've kind of de facto become, you know, not Mr. WPT, you know, all respect to, you know, Vince Van Patten, Tony Dunst. You know, what does that sort of mean to you to, to kind of like have that uh, association with, with the World Poker Tour? Well, I'm, I'm proud of my accomplishments on, on the World Poker Tour. Um, being able to do something nobody else has done, that, that, that's cool. Um, it, it is a little bit of like a, a needle or backhanded compliment when it's like, oh, he only wins on the WPT or, or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I, I don't let, I don't let that get to me too much. And I just try to show up and play my best wherever I'm playing World Series, online, WPT, cash game, tournament. I'm just going to try to show up and play my best and uh, can only hope that the results will follow in other in other venues at the World Series, things like that. Um, hopefully today, hopefully today we get it going in the, yep. in the 50K. Yep. Yep. I hope so for your sake too. Hope you get the uh, cards chat podcast run good. Uh, do you have a, uh, a particularly favorite memory from all of your time during the WPT or particularly favorite tournament to play in? Probably my favorite memory would be at Borgata when I won my first title, because that was my home casino. I had my family there, my wife, my dad, my brother, um, they, they don't get to see me play poker very often so, and, and to be at that like live final table in my home casino and win it and have them there. Uh, that was special. Also my biggest score still, even, even to date money wise, that that was big. So that, that's definitely my favorite memory and like breakthrough first live major tournament. Um, that that's, that'll stick with me. That's cool. Do you feel like when you're there, you have any sort, any sort of home court advantage? Is that a thing? Or I'm just, you know, maybe I'm projecting. No, no, I, I think so. And, and most of the home court advantage kind of comes from knowledge of opponents, I think, where, where you know the regulars, where you're like, this guy I've played with for 10 years, I know what he does. He mm. plays cash games here. He, I, I think that's a big part of home court advantage that, that is real. I mean, that's that's tangible. You you have knowledge of an opponent's strategy and you can use that to your advantage. Got it. Oh, cool. I'm interested to get. I never, I've never actually heard someone, you know, go into detail what that means before. That's pretty cool. Um well, I combed through the the multitude of Hendon Mob results, and all of a sudden, there's one that kind of just sort of stuck, you know, stood out to me. It's like a it's a veritable sea of of no limit hold'em, and then all of a sudden, June 2019 at the WSOP, you placed third in a Deuce Seven Lowball 10K event for over $109,000. So, you play mixed games, or you accidentally entered the wrong tournament? Like, what's the story there exactly? <laughs> I would say I don't play mixed games, but I do play that game. I play No Limit Single Draw. It is basically the only other game I play. I don't really enjoy limit games. Mm-hmm. I don't find them too exciting. So I started playing this in like a home game with with my friends maybe 10, 15 years ago. Played a lot of cash games online, high stakes, heads up, and then kind of found some bigger live low ball games in Las Vegas playing in Bobby's room with, with Billy Baxter, Doyle Brunson, those kind of guys. So I actually got a lot of experience in this game at high stakes. And from a strategical standpoint, it's like the purest poker game. It, it's my absolute favorite, but very rarely do you get to play it. It's just not spread very often. And most of the time, if it is, it's in a mix with five or six other games. I don't know. I don't know how to play. So right. I always circle that one on the calendar, the 10,000 deuce to seven at the World Series. And um, I think I've got third twice now, but one one of my favorite tournaments. Interesting. I, I, I'm curiosity. Like, so I'll, I'll, I'll reorder these questions because you mentioned it. So walking into Bobby's room, playing with Doyle, with Billy Baxter in a game that's clearly, you know, they've, they've got more experience than you do at that particular game. Any trepidation whatsoever? No, no, it kind of goes back to your online versus live thing where mm. in my head, I'm thinking I understand this game better than these guys mm. uh, strategically, fundamentally. And they're looking at me like we've been playing this game 60 years. This kid, right. Know what he's, like, <laughs> it's, it's probably a little bit of like both where we're under underestimating each other and we're probably closer than both of us think. Huh. But uh, that when any trepidation I had was 
washed away just because it's a good environment in there. I really enjoy playing with Billy Baxter and you get to hear, you get to hear some of these old time stories. I mean, this guy backed Stu Unger and like yeah. as a poker fan and someone who enjoys the history, I love to hear stories about that kind of stuff. And um, he's like 80, 85 years old. So who knows how much longer we'll be able to enjoy that kind of stuff. So I really like that. For sure. I guess that's the uh, extra added value, you know, that you get uh, yeah. from playing in games like well, those. Entertainment. Uh, and I have to admit here, you know, perhaps this is a, uh, probably, this is a very flawed assumption, especially you're saying you're playing cash games in Bobby's room. You know, when I think of the name, like I said, we've never really crossed paths before, but I, of course, know what you've done in poker. And when I think the name Darren Elias, my brain kind of like immediately associates it with wildly successful tournament pro. So how often do you play cash games and, and to what extent is that association completely off? Um, nowadays, with the evolution of cash games where everything has been privatized at the high stakes, I don't play very often because okay. I don't get invited to a lot of games and I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to like yak it up with a fish and like make him make him feel comfortable and all, and all. i'm not going to play the game of the networking and, and all that okay. stuff so i will say i played a ton of of cash games live in my 20s like 21 to 30 and probably probably was more profitable than i was in tournaments so um people on the east coast know that people borgata um la kind of have played a lot with me and Mostly played 10, 25, 25, 50, 50, 100 ish, no limit um, in my 20s. And I think I think it's kind of looking like that is in my past with, with how games are going. And I, I don't think we're going to we're going to return to a time where pub, big cash games are just public and open. So not, now if I do get to play, it's in some kind of TV special game. But uh, I have played a, a lot of a lot of live cash games. Cool. Okay. And uh, anyone who's listening, Darren's clearly looking for an invite to the next uh, <laughs> uh, Poker After Dark or High Stakes. I won't hold my love- breath. <laughs> I'd like to see you there. It sounds, sounds yeah. interesting. Um, let's go to Above the Felt. Uh, you were one of the first four poker pros, uh, along with, I believe it was Matt Berkey, Chris Moneymaker, and Jamie Kerstetter to sign with the Above the Felt Talent Agency. So uh, that's you know run by also our, our mutually good friend, Tom Wheaton. How did that sort of come about? I was in uh, the Aria having a drink and, and Tom came up to me. We, we had a drink together, hung out for an hour or two. And then I think he reached out to me maybe a year or so later and said, I have this idea about this talent um, management agency kind of thing. And I've always been open to things like that, but it's not something that I'm going to be assertive on. And like, I'm not mm. a salesman. I'm not going to like sell myself and, and go to people, spend time reaching out and things like that my goal has always been to play poker and and be good at poker and practice and perform. So to have someone who's like, Oh, I'm willing to do this for you. And um, I've never been against these kind of opportunities. Like card room wants me to come play or meet, meet people or this kind of stuff. I've always been open to, but never been um, willing to go out and get. So I think it's kind of a mutually beneficial thing where um, he can kind of arrange, arrange deals and opportunities. And um, I, I mostly play poker. Cool. Okay. So what, uh, you know, as an example, what kinds of opportunities has, you know, signing brought your way in and what have you uh, enjoyed most about kind of having that, uh, you know, that manager, so to, so to speak. Um, we had a, we went down to Texas where that they, they recently kind of legalized poker and, and I got to play in Houston. Um, they invited me down to play a tournament and some cash games. And uh, that, that was fun to see in something Tom arranged where I, I wouldn't have gone and played a, a $1,300 tournament in Houston, but uh, it was fun to see like what's going on down there and, and like how poker is in America. I enjoyed that. And then obviously now we're working with bet MGM and party poker us, which above the felt Tom helped broker mm-hmm. um, enjoying that so far. It's a different, it's a different experience for me, but something, something I'm liking so far. Right. So that dovetails actually pretty nicely into my next question. Uh, you know, you have begun representing party poker, bet MGM, you know, it's one thing when, you know, your, your, your trusted friend manager, you know, Tom Wheaton presents you, Hey, this is an opportunity. What makes you though, the player, you know, beyond, oh, okay. And a nice opportunity. What makes you choose a party to poker, bet MGM? What specifically, you know, about that company say, you know what? Yeah. I'd like to represent these guys. Well, they're kind of the leader in my jurisdiction and and I'm, I'm pretty passionate about poker in America and they're, they're located in New Jersey, Michigan, PA. I play in New Jersey and 
I, I've always felt terrible for the American poker player who's had to kind of like live in the shadows mm. and play on illegal sites or VPN or something where I want it to be easy. I want it to be legalized. I think down the line, if we can link, get more states involved, link things up that poker online poker in America can be a great thing again. And the people at Bet MGM and party poker are behind it and are willing to invest the money and the time to kind of make poker big again in the U S. And I think it's, I think the demand is there just, just looking around at tournaments, like poker is prospering right now in, yeah. in, in America. So I, I think everything lines up where if we can get legislation passed and get everything rolling that um, we can have a good, a good couple years ahead. That's awesome. I, mean, I got to say also, that's just so encouraging to hear. You know, I, I imagine a lot of folks who are listening, who are watching this, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can go preach, man. Yeah, that's, that's really cool to hear. They've, and, uh, they've had it tough for a long time. I mean, I, I've understood like since Black Friday, it's been hard to be an American poker pro who wants to play online. Yeah. So to finally have some opportunities, um, it, it's exciting for once. Yeah, and, and not just a, a poker pro, but just, you know, you want to go ahead and, and play for a few hours on a Sunday when, you know, just the, as a wreck, you know, just like having it available, legal, you can deposit, put your money on, off, you know, there's mm-hmm. something really nice. Uh, at, like, you know, the Wild West old days, you know, pre-Black Friday, it's nice to yeah. be able to to do that again and, and see it, you know, legalized in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and, and Michigan, as you say. Um, you know, of course, you know, we've, we've alluded to it a couple of times and mentioned in the intro, um, as this episode gets released, you'll already be battling out at the online felt hosting the bet mgm and boss poker series on the party poker us network um how did this series come about can you tell us a little bit more about it yeah working with tom and bet mgm and and party poker we wanted to put some kind of series on um this month kind of around thanksgiving and i was able to help design the schedule i wanted to be a little little higher stakes than usual on, on the new jersey sites i I think we have a thousand dollar main event buy-in and uh 200 500 tournaments mostly so we kind of wanted to put that together and then some special element where uh winner of the main event will will be crowned the end boss of their state and they will win a a a ticket into a a a later event and i'd be actually if you knock me out of new jersey you win a a three three night two day stay in uh at the borgata which is cool so we have all these little like promos going on and uh, actually qualifying a lot of players from the sports book too, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Bet MGM well known for their their sports betting market, and to sure. bring to bring some of those poker player bring some of those players over to poker, I think is great. Cool. And when you say you kind of had a hand in designing it, you were you know actively helping with the structures, or, or what is it that you were involved in specifically? More the buy-ins and the schedule than mm-hmm. than the structures. Um, I'm I'm able a little bit to suggest guarantees and uh, buy-in levels and what what tournaments on what day and, and what formats. So m- mostly that, which is fun, and I, I look forward to doing that in the future and, and maybe even in live events. So if Bet MGM Party Poker were to have a a live event at one of their properties in the U.S., I'd have a I'd have a good time designing that schedule. And I think my experience gives me some idea of what players want and at what price points would work in America. Nice. So again, that's uh, New Jersey, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Get your butts over after, of course, you finish listening to the Cards Chat podcast here uh, and start playing in the End Boss series. Uh, a couple more questions before we get into the community questions. I know our, our time is limited. You got uh, you know the next day of play at WSOP coming up, um, Darren. I noticed you're sitting in fourth place on the New Jersey all-time money list. Damn impressive. Uh, two-part question: Do you know who's ahead of you? First of all. Got to be Phil Ivey. I would yep. think he's from New Jersey. Um, Tom Marchese. Yeah. And one more. Uh, hmm. That was going to be a tough one. Yeah, it is. Two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. Tom Dwan. No, he probably hasn't played that many times. He's behind you. And you're also ahead of Scott Blumstein. <laughs> Main event winner? Um, Chris Klodnicki, I think. That's the one. Oh, is it? Is it Klod? That's it. Three for three. So is it a goal of yours to, you know, Ivy's Ivy, okay, but maybe to hit number two someday. Is that a thing or just, you know, cute stat? Yeah, more more of a cute stat. I I don't set too many, like, monetary goals like that. And and nowadays with the – some of the buy-ins on these tournaments have made these numbers a little ridiculous where we'll have guys who have 50 million, a hundred million in earnings where these numbers are pretty inflated. I don't play a ton of the 250,000 million. I play a couple, but 
not as many as as most. So those numbers are getting a little outrageous, but it, it's fun to watch. And um, every once in a while, I'll check, oh, where am I on the all-time money list or something? Right. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, again, as, as this will be released, you know, the tournament will have ended and you'll have a, a nice little score or a nice big score nice. Uh, in the in the 50K at the WSOP. Let's hope. Uh, last question from me. Uh, the WSOP is basically, let's say, just ended. You've got, you know, the end boss poker series going on online. How about uh, the rest of the year, 2022? Have you started thinking about and planning out your schedule or it's just like, you know, bring on the holidays. Let me chill a little bit. I usually plan out the next couple of months. So I know I'll be home for the holidays. I'll be playing online this series. And then pretty soon after, I'll be headed back here for Five Diamond and Bellagio. That's always a must-play event for me. Uh, $10,000 buy-in, 100 runners, WPT. Yep. Um, just a real special event. We'll play that, a couple other uh, side events. I think uh, the win has added a, a $5,000 event in December. I'll play before Christmas come home for Christmas, the holidays, and haven't really looked forward to January yet. I'm, I'm not sure what 2022 will hold, but probably some live poker. Yeah, good. Sounds, sounds like a good schedule. Maybe a fifth uh, WPT title waiting in the wings for you. That'd be a good um, one to win. Yeah. All right. Well, in this segment of the show, we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Um, as you know, Darren, here this one is from Crystals. Crystals, thank you very much. Um, you recently tweeted this, says Crystals, a big part of what makes pros successful over the long term is our ability to distance ourselves from the monetary and emotional swings of the game, but it can leave us jaded. It's great to see the other side. So Crystals is asking, how do you think pros can rediscover the passion in poker that you see in amateurs? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. That's tough. Um, It's interesting. Like, I don't know because poker players, even if I'm, even if I put a two outer on somebody deep in a, in a huge tournament, I still don't think I'm going to like celebrate and fist pump like, like a recreational player would. And I don't really know if there's an easy way to rediscover that. I I would say playing higher stakes, maybe where it means more, um, you, you might see some more emotion, but that, that's kind of the point of my tweet is that I'm almost jealous of, of these recreational players that they can be so um, themselves and release all these emotions. And uh, it reminds me of when I first started playing, when I started playing like one, two, two, five, I, I was so excited of the game and I'm, I am envious of, of the lower stakes recreational players in that regard. And for us, it's very difficult to, to kind of get back to that where, we're pa- I'm passionate about poker. All high stakes players are passionate about poker, but we we want to execute. We want to perform. We want to win money, and it's it's more of a business, and it's more cold and calculated than sure. uh, than what what I'm referencing there. That's that's fair. Very honest answer. And I got to say, like I said, we've never really met in person before. But next time I'm in Vegas, if you happen to be around, I'll be playing one three. I'm happy to invite you and uh, we'll sure. recapture some of that passion. You know, maybe you'll take all my money, but hopefully you'll have a good time. Probably doing it. <laughs> uh, second question from Crystals. Uh, Darren, you commented recently that it doesn't matter how much you study that makes you a good poker player. You have to go and execute. So if you were to give advice to recreational players, what training material should they look for and how much should one study? I would say getting getting a hold of some pre-flop charts would, would be a good start for recreational players because that's kind of, if you have some big leaks in your game, they all kind of stem from pre-flop and then you're mm-hmm. making these, you make a small error pre-flop, it compounds on the flop turn, and then all of a sudden you've made three or four mistakes in one hand and, and you're losing a lot of money. So I would say start there. And those are kind of like readily available, pretty easy to find somewhere online where, where you can get a pre-flop chart for which hands should I call with or open with in, in, in certain position. And I, w- I wouldn't set a time where, oh, I have to study two hours a day or something like that. But do it when it feels natural and do it when you want to do it would, would be my suggestion where I'm always more productive and retain more information when I when I want to be doing something. So whenever I'm studying poker, I'm like, I'm into it. I'm enjoying it. So I think that would be my tip there where don't set a time, just whenever you're curious about something or want to study, 
pull up pull up a chart. I like it. No shortcuts though. You got You still gotta memorize those those stocks and stuff. Um, Acid burn FX always great. Uh, you know who chimes in with a bunch of questions. We've got a few here. We'll get through as many as we can uh, before the end of the show. Uh, thank you, Acid Burn FX. Uh, wants to know, Darren, what is the? I love it. Where? What is the weirdest place that you've played poker for money? Oh, let me think about this for a little bit. <laughs> Definitely played on a bus on a field trip in high school. We we used to play and kind of like you'd be like looking over the seat at the other guy. Uh, we used to play on like field trips in, in high school. Um, weirdest place, yeah, pr- probably that. I, I don't think I've played anywhere weirder than that. We used I love to. Uh, <laughs> I tweeted this out when when I was in high school. This isn't a location, but we're like 16 years old and we wouldn't play for money, but we'd play like a three or four handed sit and go. And the first one out would have to eat a chocolate laxative. Okay. That, that was as, as high stakes as it got back then because we didn't have much money. So, you- <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay. I think we'll leave that one there. Um, what uh, Acid Burn FX, another couple of them. What is your favorite gambling movie and why? I think it's got to be rounders. Just, just such, such a classic and uh, related to poker. I like Casino. Casino is a good game too, uh, a, a good movie too. But tough to beat rounders. Uh, big Matt Matt, da- Matt Damon fan. Ed Norton. It's about poker. Good story. Um, Going to be tough to find poker players who don't say rounders there. I think. Okay, that's fair. I do like. I do. I am partial to Casino as well. Like uh, specifically Don Rickles' interesting role there. It's it's good oh, stuff for sure. Um, and we'll end off with this one at, from Acid Burn FX. Thank you. Always just uh, some great creative questions here. Darren, what was your most embarrassing moment in poker? Mm. Oh, this is easy, actually. Um, in the in the 10K just to seven championship event in that 2019 one where I finished third, I got dealt six cards. Yeah, with with two tables left, and I played them. So, so some somebody, Prolod Freeman raised, and I three bet him. I had I had a pat jack, but I had six cards, and I, and I didn't realize it. I kind of just, I kind of just looked at it. And I said, "Oh, I have a jack," and I three bet him, and he called. And then I looked back for the next betting round, and I'm like, "Well, I, I have six cards, so I have to be at floor. I have six right. cards," and they're like, "Well." Your hand is dead. You're, yeah, you're, you, you lose this spot. So um, yeah. even pros make mistakes like that, and that happens. But that's one I remember recently where I'm like, "Wow, I'm an idiot." <laughs> that is fair. Nice, lighthearted note, I suppose. At least after the fact to, to end off yeah. here. It probably uh, cost me five thousand dollars. Oh month. gosh, I'm so well, it's, well. I apologize. Didn't mean to bring up a bad. No, no, it's fine. No, no. <laughs> What's 5K anyway, right? Um, thanks to everyone who sent in your questions for Darren Elias. Just a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked the show. Darren, before you go and head off uh, to WSOP land, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, happy to happy to come on here and talk to you guys. I, I think poker forums are great for meeting people, discussing the game, and uh, I hope a lot of I hope a lot of your listeners can can get on BetMGM Party Poker in the U.S. and play some online poker. Sweet, awesome, Darren. Thank you very much. Thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.